Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey everyone, it is going off track. Today's guest, Freddie Madball of Madball and the New York hardcore scene. He is, I think, the first person I've ever met that was brought into hardcore through nepotism. Yeah, pretty awesome. Our guest, uh, Paul Delaney, told a story about Freddie, and then uh, he was like, I could get him on. And I just was emailing him. He was in Europe for a while on tour. But um, yeah, like, what a legend. And he's like so young still for having been in, in the scene, like, growing up listening to that dude you know blew my mind that he's one aside from all the bands but two he's the one guest every time you tried to book him he went hey can i come earlier (laughs) it's like "Ah, that's that that is hardcore yeah i just i have to schedule my day correctly can we come in earlier yeah he was super cool um yet another uh punk rock dad we've had in here yeah and just i whenever he talks about you know agnostic front i always think about you know the movie Another State of Mind? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, did you ever listen to the commentary track with I, Mike I had an MVHS. Okay. So, I don't know if it had that. That's how I first saw it was on VHS okay. when it was floating around. But So, I got the DVD when it came out. And on the commentary, uh, Mike Ness telling the story about his first time in New York. And he's like, you know, I'm all punk, whatever. And the guys from Agnostic Front kicked the shit out of me. <laughs> he said, they beat me so bad I shit my pants. That, that doesn't that sounds kind of snobby for me to be like I had that in VHS like does that seem like a <laughs> like a music snobby thing yeah, like I saw it, that's like, the way you're supposed to talk yeah no because when I said it I like felt superior <laughs> so the way you could have seen the damn thing for years no, somebody totally. had it I just figured it was because you were a uh, Williamsburg hipster that you you know you actually just got the VHS Dude, last I, week I sadly got, you only do tape I got rid of a TV with a VHS player less than five years ago that was my main TV that I had bought. I probably have said this. I bought with my parents when oh. I moved back to Cleveland, and I had one with the DVD player built in. Built in? Yeah. Oh, yes. And the one with the DVD player was like 20 bucks more. I was like, you get the VHS. Like, no, I'm never going to need a DVD player. <laughs> I totally remember that. And like literally like two months later, everyone had DVDs, and like VHS was obsolete, and then I kept it forever. We have, a, we have an HD DVD player. Because I, I I made my parents get that. I bet all the money on HD and not Blu-ray. Me too. You know what? Though later they got a refund. Like Best Buy sent them like a hundred bucks or fifty bucks after it got this. They stopped making it, and they were like, "Sorry, basically you can buy Blu-ray now." Did, did they have the same logic as I do that HD signed a deal with the porn industry, but Blu-ray wouldn't? So it's I was all like, "About the porn." I don't know, but I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure there's so many. 
backdoor things going on. <laughs> but I'm sure there's a lot going on when it decides which medium kind of wins out. That's what happened. VHS, porn signed with VHS. Beta wouldn't do it. Beta's better quality, but VHS won. True. So whoever signs with porn wins? No, Blu-ray won. Damn it. Probably because people don't want porn to look that realistic. Exactly. Yep. That it's makes ex- sense. That's that makes exactly sense. why. Too creepy. But they had this whole thing where you could change the angles. What? Yeah. On my HD DVD player, there's a button that says angle. And so certain movies, specifically porn, if you hit a button, it'll change the angle of what you're looking at. It'll switch cameras. Yes. I wish you could do that for everything on TV. Yeah. That would be awesome. If you could program it to not ever show the dude's face. Exactly. Or only show the dude's face. (laughs) Whatever you're into. (laughs) All right. Before this devolves even more, let's go talk to Freddie Madball. All right, so we have um, Freddie Madball with us today. Hello. That's the appropriate <laughs> moniker because I'm glad to say it because I'm not sure if I could pronounce your last name I know, correctly I and I don't want to be insulted. How do you pronounce it? Creasian. Creasian. Yeah. I, I would have murdered that. Yeah. No, even in my head, that's not what it was. Yeah. It's always, it gets people that name. Mm. Yep. So Madball's just so much easier. Yeah, I think it, it flows a little, <laughs> a little smoother for some. <laughs> you might also know Freddie from Hazen Street mm-hmm. or Black and Blue Bowl, which yeah. looks awesome this year. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, Judge. excited about it, man. It's it's, it's a nice lineup. Yeah, it's two shows too, so it's the first time for that. So we've had people here from you know the the hardcore scene, from you know people. We had Lyle Pressler from Minor Threat, you know, one of the bands that basically started it. Right. But you grew up in it. Yeah, like, like this, like like it, it's it's basically just a part of your DNA from from the get go. Somewhat, <laughs> yeah. So how did, for those who don't know, how did Madball get started? Um, basically, like you said, you know, I grew up in it. My oldest brother is Roger Moret from Agnostic Front, who, you know, one of the one of the New York pioneers. Yeah, you know, one of the originators of of the New York scene, at least. You know, and. You know, I think, you know, the hardcore scene in general, really. Um, And so, you know, I happen to be his little brother. So um, (laughs) I was introduced to this at a very young age and I really took to it. You know, I I embraced it. You know, uh, I just uh, I was brought around, you know, he brought me around shows. I met a lot of interesting characters and that's sort of how i that's that's how my introduction went what's know? the age difference between you two uh well I'm in my later 30s and he's in his later 40s okay so i would say probably it's about 11 12 years oh wow so yeah it's a big gap and you were you started yeah. singing with agnostic front when you were super young right yeah real young that that was i would venture to say seven or eight years old you know there's some you know some people say younger some people say nine uh, you know it, it it's i think it was seven or eight years old the first time i ever sang with af wow yeah and yeah. was that something you were like let, let me do it or they just pulled you up it was just happened very organically it wasn't <laughs> like pre-planned or anything like that it was just like i was with the guys and i was at a show and I think I was mouthing the words to one of the songs because I had caught on to the, you know, to the lyrics of one of the songs. It was a very simple song, you know. Um, and uh, it was either Vinny Stigma or my brother who caught me mouthing the words. So then they proceeded to, like, put me on the spot and, like, throw me out there and 
give me a mic and we're like, go ahead, sing, sing, you know, kind of Probably deal. literally throw yeah, you out literally. There. <laughs> and, and so that's it. That's like where it started. You know, it was like, I was terrified, of course. I was like, you know, I, I didn't mind watching. I didn't mind the environment. And let me tell you, the environment wasn't how it is nowadays. We're talking about early 80s, New York. You know what I'm saying? So it was a pretty gritty environment. Um, but I, lo- I loved it all, man. It was, everyone was real respectful. Everyone treated me with a lot of love, kindness, cool people. Always so, respect. So what was the situation like where you were you, you were at the show where it's like, oh, my older brother's going to take me at the show? I was or... probably, they probably snuck me into the show because back then I was, you know, seven years old, seven, eight years old. So um, I want to say that the first time was at Great Gildersleeves. It wasn't at CB's. Um, I always had to get snuck into CB's. Uh, really? Yeah, CB's had that policy where it was like 16 and up or whatever. And so... I would have to get either, they would have to either sneak me in or my brother would have to like work out a thing with them where like I would have to be escorted in. I can go Mm -hmm. sing a song and then be escorted out because I was (laughs) underage. Like that was the deal. It's kind of cool. I had like a security guy. Like it was my friend, you know, it was like my brother's (laughs) friends, you know, it was like Frenchie, you know, legendary skin from New York. You know, it was like guys like that, you know, uh. Big Charlie or something like that. Yeah. All kinds of characters, you know. So, you know, that that was... Uh, the first place, though, was Great Gildersleeves. And that was like... I don't even remember how that played out. Like, I, I got in there somehow. And I was on stage. And I was... Yeah, again, I was just kind of... I was picking up on the songs, you know. And I was... I was, you know, I was feeling it. I was into it. And they caught that, you know. And I think it was actually Vinny that caught me singing it. And then he kind of... Him and Roger, like... Let's get the kid out here, you know? Mm-hmm. Let's see what he's got. You know, I don't I don't know. They they just they thought maybe it'd be you know, uh maybe my brother wanted to kill time or something. You know, <laughs> he wanted to take a breath between songs. Like he's no he's been known to do that. So it was like, hey, let me get the kid out here, I'll take a breath, you know, it's we'll like, take a break for two couple it's few like minutes. Vegas trick, yeah, you know, whatever yeah, we yeah. can do to prolong the set. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's true. And back then they had like fifteen minutes of music if 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 that yeah. they were lucky. So they were probably trying to like, let's add a little something to the set, you know, make it exciting. But turns out, you know, I took to it and then it became sort of like a tradition. You know, I would always sing with them anytime I was with them. Where know. were you living at the time? At that time I was living in Florida, actually oh. in South Florida, yeah. Um and uh but I spent a lot of time in New York and New Jersey actually. I'm actually from New Jersey originally. I was born in Jersey. Oh wow. Yeah. And um, my family relocated to South Florida, and Roger did not come along. He stayed up north. He stayed in Jersey and then moved over to the Lower East Side, which is where yeah. you know, he got started. He was into, into punk, and then that transitioned into hardcore, and that was like the beginnings of the whole hardcore scene. And then, you know, I would come to visit and stay with family in New Jersey, and then he'd come over the bridge, you know, and, you know, scoop me up. And then I'd spend, you know, time in the city with him, you know, and that's where I like took it all in, you know, and then there was like summers where I would just come up and stay with him, you know, exclusively. And uh, so, yeah, throughout my childhood, I really spent a lot of time in New York and New Jersey and on the road with them sometimes, you know, doing like East Coast runs from Florida to New York or things like that. It was normally East Coast stuff, close stuff, never like crazy traveling, but uh yeah, man, it was a it was a pretty uh, unique and interesting experience, to say the least. Your, and your family was cool with that. Like, My family like, was cool with that. That's great. Um, 
You know, they, they were cool with him doing music. It was some, he had some, you know, it was rough. You know, when he decided not to go to Florida, he was like 16, 17 years old. Wow. So he was basically like, I'm not going. And so there was some, there was some drama there. But eventually they just embraced the fact that he wanted to do music and like, that he was like heavily tattooed and looked insane. And like, <laughs> they're pretty much like, he is what, you know, this is what he is. You know, mm -hmm. this is who he is. Did they think that, um, were they nervous? Like, oh, is that the path, he, uh, you know, his younger brother was going to go? Or were they also supportive? You know, I think they were nervous at first, but now they're not. <laughs> <laughs> now, however many years later, they're not. I think there were definitely some concerns, you know. But at the same time, you know, it was it was a uh, it was a good way for me to spend quality time with my brother, mm -hmm. who I didn't live with at that time. I lived with my other siblings, so um, I have another older brother, older sister, and we all lived together. You know, um, so it was time. It was a way to spend time with my brother, and also, you know, things going on at home, whatever. There was, you know, it was an escape from certain things too. So home was life good. wasn't so great. It was good. Yeah, well, it was it was great. I don't want to say it wasn't great. There was a there was a lot of love, you know, there, and you know, I'm still, you know, uh, my parents and I, we're all cool, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. there's a lot of love still, mm -hmm. but you know, um, there was a transition from New York to Florida. There was, you know, uh, you know, when the move happened, a lot of family things got disrupted. It was just a, it was just some family drama there well moves suck and that's rough yeah and that changed the environment for people yeah. and that changed people's you know sort of attitude about certain things and then it's just like i don't know if it was the move but i think the move definitely triggered something and then there was like an episode there was like a few years of like some sort of instability there and so just the full it's family. life man it's life you yeah, know yeah. it happens you know mm -hmm. um so I'm the youngest in the mix of all that. Right. And I think that my brother Roger sort of saw that and 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 kind of was like, hey, let's go let's go let's go do this. Go check this out. You know, let's go check this this craziness out. <laughs> so you know. When did you end up moving from Florida to these Well, guys? funny enough, I was about 16 years old. Really? 15 or 16 years old, wow. same age as when my brother kind of boycotted going to Florida. <laughs> So I guess in my family, for some reason, <laughs> that's the that's the age where you, I guess you're an adult, which it's actually, you know, the furthest thing from the truth. But, um, you know, yeah, ironically enough, it was that same age. So 15 going on 16. I had been trying to I wanted to be in New York and New Jersey forever. You know what I mean? Like, um, that's where I felt I belonged, you know. And so when I was finally thought i was old enough you know i guess if your I mean, brother already did it you can be like uh he did it exactly. so my turn and i think i was like pretty much like i'm gonna do it no matter what and so my brother sort of sponsored me you know he sort of said like look i'll look after him and by then you know he's 20 something so he was like i'll look after him i'll make sure he goes to school and oh wow we'll see what he does over here and it wasn't even with the intentions of doing Madball. just to clarify it was just I just wanted to be, that was like, I felt like that's where I belonged. Like I needed to leave where I was at that point in my life to be in New York to pursue, I don't know what, mm -hmm. you know, because it wasn't like I came up and I was like, yeah, I had all these record deals waiting for me. And like, I'm like doing all, no, it wasn't that at all. It was just, that's where I wanted to be, 
you know. And then, you know, I went to school and then and then and then the Madball thing came up again. How old were you then? Uh this was sixteen. Sixteen was when yeah, Madball. Yeah. Ball well no, that was stuff, that man. was the that was Ball of Destruction, just to rewind a little bit. Ball of Destruction was the first release. I was twelve. <laughs> I was twelve going on thirteen around there. That was in eighty eight and it came out in eighty nine. And that happened while I was living in Florida, but on one of my many trips to New York. So that, that had happened already. And that was basically a bunch of old Agnostic Front songs redone with me singing. You know, and that was done because of, you know, the whole thing where I would sing with Agnostic Front. You know, that kind of became a tradition that I would come up and sing with them. So that, like, sparked the Madball idea, mm-hmm. you know. And Madball was a nickname that they had given me. So, hey, let's call it Madball. Let's do it, you know. But, it, you know, again, I want to stress, like, this all happened, like, very organically. You know, it's like some people are like, yeah, man, you were really, you know, you, you know, you had an advantage. Yeah, I did have an advantage. I did have an advantage that my brother happens to be who he is and, got you know, guys like Vinny and guys like that were in my life. Um, and, you know, they were pushing me, you know, sort of to try and do this. But... It was never like everything happened organically. It was never like pre-planned. Like we're gonna like call you this, and we're gonna make you look like this, and put you on a. You know what I mean? It's all like it was it just seem like they're that those kind of. Yeah, things. it just was all natural. You yeah. know, it was all just kind of like a progression of what was happening. I was mm-hmm. coming up. I was singing with them. Hey, they thought that was that was cool. And then that became kind of like a thing. And then all right, you know what? Let's put it on wax. <laughs> Crazy two track live at Don Fury's. Let's just. <laughs> you know, wild style, you know, uh, let's do it. Boom. And there it was. And that was Madball, Ball of Destruction. What was that you like know? as a kid in a studio? That was fun. That was fun because by then I had already gotten like, you know, a little more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you're a pro. Yeah, this is cool. Yeah, I was yeah. a pro. I was a pro <laughs> at 12. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like by then I was like, yeah, I kind of know these songs. I think I can, I think I can maybe pull it off. You know, I had enough of enough angst building building up in me and enough little you know so yeah we did it and it was fun and it was cool and when i moved back that was when you know we were talking about a possibility of doing another madball because it was a little talk about madball going around in like the hardcore world you know like yeah. what's up with this madball thing what's up with ball destruction what's up with your brother you know and then people would see me and go oh shit that's freddie uh, you know he's like Oh, you grew up. I'm like, yeah, well, I was 12. Now I'm 16. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like people see me now. It's like, I remember you when you were 12. I'm like, yeah, I'm like 37. <laughs> A lot of time has passed, man. Yes. Um, but uh, so, yeah, then that was it. So we said, you know what? Maybe we should try it again. You know, it's a, it's a positive thing for me. You know, I was a rambunctious kid, you know, um, I guess could easily going, get fall into getting in trouble and things like that. I guess so. if you're going to school and, you know, the responsibilities of Brother Roger, who's in Agnostic Front, front yep. was that, was he like, definitely have to go to school or did he give you a little leeway? I, I That was kind of the deal I made. You know, I promised my mom and and my dad and, and, and you know, and Roger that I would, uh, that I would go to school, you know, um, unfortunately I ended up dropping out of school <laughs> um i did go to school though for a little bit and i did actually all right and i even ended up going to like uh, uh a new school that had sprung up right here in the lower east side that was like some you know it was related to the arts 
it was some sort of new uh, public repertory company or something it was called. And it was like this new thing for like pretty much bad kids to inspire, to, to like, you know, uh, motivate them to do stuff that they like. You know, there were kids that were graffiti artists. There were a ton of kids that were graffiti artists, you know, kids that had been in trouble tagging and stuff. There were kids that wanted to be actors and there were this and that, you know, so, but, but these were not privileged kids. Mm -hmm. These were like street kids. And it kind of seemed like the perfect fit for me. Like that was the neighborhood I lived in. Like I was kind of being stupid in the school I was in, Seward Park, Seward Park High School. And so, I transitioned over to that school, and it was cool. My art teacher was a legendary graffiti artist. So it was like, uh, you know, things like that were cool. It was like, only in New York, you know what I mean? It's like, it's crazy. This was a state school? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they eventually moved the program to the west side, and I went there for a bit. And then it became, it got all, like, too complicated going there. And then it was just like, I just decided, like, I was starting to tour and like it was, I, I stopped, I stopped, but I got my GED immediately after and like I tried to make up for it. I was like, all right, I'll at least have some sort of paperwork to seem legit, you know? Um, but yeah, I made a promise that I do, that I do the school thing and, and, um, and, uh, I didn't stick to, I didn't keep my end of the promise, but I, but I, uh, kind of sort of did with the GED thing and yeah, all but that. you're at a school for the arts. You are an artist because you're probably one of the only people there who probably had recorded a record before yeah. and toured. Yeah. So you had a little bit under your belt. So it kind of makes sense. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That was kind of the idea. You know, it was like, uh, I want to say that my brother's uh, girlfriend at the time was the one that came came across this whole, she, she somehow found out about the school and then mentioned it to him. I was like, yeah, try it out. And it was cool. I met a lot of cool people there. Um, Todd, who ended up playing in Warzone, um, went there. Um, Lorenzo from Sworn Enemy, uh, was a younger, he's younger than me, but he was towards the very end when it moved to the West side. I think that's where I met him or maybe when it was on the East side. I can't remember for sure, but it's funny. It's interesting that actually people from our scene, uh, I, I met them going to that school. And uh, it was cool, man. It's a cool concept. I hope they really continue to do it. And 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 some people don't thrive in that traditional, yeah. you know, five six classes exactly. a day environment. You know what I mean? And, yeah. it, and it doesn't work. I used to be a teacher, and it's, okay, and you know, certain programs. And I, I taught kids. In the I want to say the bad kids, which is a different, different, you know. <laughs> um, and you'll never find a more tight knit group who fight each other. Until someone steps up to them. Right. And I'd never seen anything like this before. And there was a school that I worked in in California where I was one of two substitute teachers who would go in there. Hmm. And, uh, it was, cause, you know, it was like, it was Dangerous Minds times Blackboard Jungle. You know, it was ridiculous. Right. But, you right. know, kids are kids and they'll shut up if you go, dude, shut up. <laughs> Calm down. It's yeah, fine. Yeah. <laughs> you want to learn yeah. something cool if you don't. Yeah, in, go. The end they're, in the end, they're kids, right? Yeah. Yeah. And also, the, these doors don't lock. You can bolt. Like, it's cool. If you want to be here, we'll help you out. If not, it's mm-hmm. it's fine. Maybe you can help yourself. You know what I mean? And that right. kind of attitude. Some people thrive on better than, sit down, shut up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. A little more agreeable. That's yeah, I, 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 I was one of the ones that didn't like the <clears throat> sit down, shut up. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> what was it like going to shows, like seeing Warzone and all these bands in the Lower East Side in the 80s and 90s? I mean, because that's such a legendary time, but it also seems so scary. I mean, especially in those areas then. I mean... Yeah. How has it changed and what do you kind of, how would you kind of describe it maybe? 
Well, I could remember walking the streets uh, of the LES with my brother and Ray B's, as a matter of fact, since you brought up Warzone. And, and he was pretty tight with my brother at that time. And I could remember us walking around in the early 80s, and it was a whole different, um, you know, place than what you see now. Um, and it was just crazy, you know. It was just a different time. I mean, these guys were like... People would look at these guys and walk across the street. You know, it's like they were like shaved heads, tattooed. They didn't look right. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? According to society. And, uh, you know, then you had like the drug aspect of things. You know, the Thompson Square Park was a filthy, you know, drug inhabited place. It was just horrible. Um, you had gangs. Um, everywhere, you know, uh, left over from the late seventies into the eighties. And so it it was a pretty interesting place, man. (laughs) And, uh, you know, in the middle of all this is hardcore, you know, and, 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 and and I'm, I'm actually happy I got to see that, you know, I didn't live in it at that point in time. You know, I came here in the early nineties, but, um, it was a, it was an experience, man. It was an experience, you know, besides the music aspect of it, just the, all the different cultures and all the different, you know, that just that environment, you know, but that bred a lot of the, the, the angst that you hear in the songs and stuff. You know what I mean? That they, these guys were not living in like posh places, man. These guys were living in squats. They were sharing apartments. They were living in someone else's apartment, 20 people, you know, in one spot, you know what I mean? Uh, dirty, filthy places, you know, they were like scrounging around to eat. You know, they had me panhandling at one point on Avenue A. It's embarrassing. Um, I kind of laugh. We laugh about it now. And we have an ongoing joke, my brother and I. Like, you know, it's like, but it's like, you know, it was crazy. It was crazy. But the shows were amazing. You know, the shows had a lot of, you know, you know, anybody that's been to like early AF shows and, you know, in, in that time period, you know, they'll tell you, man, it was just, you know, you could feel that, 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 that angst. You know, you could feel that, that struggle. That hunger, you know, Imagine it was if all that. Pen up, trying to survive, and you get you know thirty minutes on stage. You're gonna exactly. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna get it out of your system. You're gonna get it off your chest, and the people are gonna do the same. And th- those records really hold up, like Victim in Pain or Don't Forget the Struggle, Don't Forget the Street. I mean, like, still, man, you yeah. can hear it. Yeah, I, I agree, man. You know, I, I it's 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 timeless stuff. I, I agree with you. I agree so, with how you, did Madball evolve into a, where it is now? Well, Madball evolved um, after dropping Many Suckers, which was the second release. That was when I was about 16, I guess. Um, that was in 91, 92. Um, by then, I was living here um, in the Lower East Side. Um, and uh, Matt Henderson was in the mix. He's, he's an important name because he was a part of a big, big part of our sound eventually what became Madball sound, you know, because you got to remember we're living in the shadows of Agnostic Front. I'm Roger's little brother, you know, cool novelty. Here's this little kid. He comes up and sings in front of people. Cute, 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 blah, 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 you know, but at some point that will probably run its course. You know what I mean? And then it'll be like, all right, what do you got, kid? You know, what are you going to, you know, how are you going to impress us besides, you know, you know, you're not a kid anymore. You know what I'm saying? You're not cute anymore. So uh, that was sort of the thing. The thing by that record, it was sort of like we have to stand out on our own, you know, dropping many suckers at second seven inch. That was like, all right, 
all the structure was cool. It was AF stuff. Cool, cool, cool. But now we have to do something like we have to find our own sound, you know. And that happened very organic, organically as well. It was like Matt Henderson just had a different writing style. And Matt Henderson, for those of you who don't know, is like he joined Agnostic Front um, in 1991. And he played on One Voice, um, which is, you know, a pretty well-known record of theirs. Um, one of the last records they did before they took a long break. Right. Um, and so Matt Henderson is an amazing player and songwriter and dear friend, of course. And so he was in the tail end of the agnostic front when like before that break. And then he was, you know, naturally just came into the mad ball fold. And I basically would always absorb AF guys. And so it was Will Shepler on drums, Matt Henderson on guitar, um, my brother on bass and Vinny Stigma on guitar as well. Um, but then soon after dropping many suckers, my brother just stepped away from music altogether. So in came Hoya, which is my current bass player. And he also was an important factor here because the combination of Hoya and Matt Henderson and myself, like that dynamic is what I think created uh, the sound that we're known for now, I guess. I don't know what that is, but that that brand of, of New York hardcore, that's essentially a component of all those, you know, uh, 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 you know the very, outcome of those three. It's very specific. It's cool that you say organically. I like yeah. that because I was wondering how, you know, you have a band and, and you're known for something and you sit and go, well, we got to carve our own path. What do we do? Yeah. But hearing it just say, what well, just happened? It has like even cooler. A, a, like Madball has felt like was part of the New York hardcore thing because it had such a groove to it too that I felt like everything was so tight and so I don't know. It's yeah, the groove has always has been a big thing, and I guess I I don't know. Maybe I grew up like kind of more like a hip hop kind of kid, where my brother was more from the punk rock world. Like I'm not I'm not gonna sit here and tell you I was a punk rocker because that's not the truth i i love punk rock it's great you know but that wasn't me like he was a punk rocker then he was like a skin and then hardcore you know that that was like the the natural thing for me i was kind of like you know i was i was growing up with like hip-hop and all these different influences in my life and you know same with guys like hoya who plays the bass you know who and and so i think that somehow you know these vibes kind of you know helped influence you know who we are sound wise without being like rap core or like rap rock or whatever you know what i mean it was never like that right you know mm -hmm. it was never intentional like that it sort of was just you know and we have latin roots as well which could contribute to all this you know i grew up listening to salsa and cumbia and all these different elements, you know, through my parents and stuff. So, like, I don't know. I, I think maybe, you know, Madball sort of took on some of these other elements that maybe Agnostic Front didn't have in the beginning. You know, like, they were more just stripped down raw. I mean, you know, like you said, Victim in Pain, you know, one of the most classic hardcore records ever. You know what I mean? But it was, like, more derived from punk. Right. Where I think Madball... The turning point was dropping many suckers. That's when a little bit more groovy, kind of more like that vibe started kicking in. And then moving forward, it was just 
don't know, it was just what it was, more of that. You know, set it off. Our first LP was when Hoya came in and started actually writing with us, and then you can really hear the difference there. Dropping Many Suckers is still a combo of like those old crazy songs with like this newer groove thing that we were doing and whatever kind of cadence I was attempting at that moment. You know what I mean? It was just what it was, you know, but it was definitely different than Agnostic Front. Which is the point, I guess, that we're because talking about. You have about. a very specific vocal style, and it's cool to be able to hear it evolve over time, you know, from Thank that. Thank you. And, I mean... I'm trying. Just, I'm, still, I'm still trying. I'm still trying. I'm still evolving. That's the whole point of yeah. the journey. Yeah. Is it... I mean, do you do you think it's from hip-hop? Because you grew up, like, at the crux of both scenes, you know what I mean? Like, hip-hop was evolving, punk was evolving, yeah. and hardcore hip-hop, that... I mean, it was all there, and specifically if you're in New York at the yeah. time. You know, it's it's... You're surrounded by it. You think that's where your style comes from? I, I think so. I would have to give some credit to hip hop. I would have to give some credit to, you know, a lot of the influences I had. Like, I've, I always say this anybody I ever talk to, I'm always saying, you know, I had a, a, a hugely diverse uh, a musical background as far as like what I listened to, you know, growing up. All my siblings listened to different stuff. My parents listened to all Latin music. My brother, obviously, the hardcore connection. So it was, uh, I think that all that helps. But I was really, really, I really loved hip hop culture. You know, I embraced that very early on. And, um, but I never wanted to, like, when people would say, like, yeah, you kind of have, like, kind of a little bit of a hip-hop cadence, I'd be like, what? Like, it was never intentional like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. now I do hip-hop. I actually have a hip-hop yeah. project. So it's like, okay, that's intentional. I'm, that, I'm straight up doing straight up hip-hop. But with Madball, I guess it was just subconsciously just kind of there. I guess when I started writing, since I was so into that genre, it was like, would come out with a, 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 some sort of, you know, influence from that world. So I, I would have to give some props to that, for sure. I would definitely have to give some credit. I mean, credit. that's what you're into. It's going gonna, it's gonna to seep it, in. It's going to seep in somehow. We had a guy in here who is, um, uh, he's a singer-songwriter, but he, yeah. you know, he gets country on him because he, he's from, where's Corey from? Or Tennessee? I yeah, know. yeah, he's from, uh, what, what city? Kentucky? What state is Memphis in? <laughs> Memphis, Tennessee. Tennessee, Tennessee, yeah. yeah. Tennessee. He was right. He I was had right. that moment. I was like, man. Corey, sorry. <laughs> sorry. But he, but he had this moment where he said, you can't wash it off. Yeah. And it's about countries. Like, you that's can't, great. No, yeah. that, 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 I get it. I yeah. get it. That's a great, that's a great, hey, you can't wash it off. You can't mm -hmm. wash off a lot of things, man. Where, where, where are your parents from? <laughs> My dad's from a place called Barranquilla. It's in Colombia. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, South America. And uh, my mom's from Cuba, Havana. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm first generation American, by the way. My siblings weren't, my older siblings weren't born here. They were all born in Cuba. Oh, wow. Yeah, and to clarify, I have a different father than Roger. That's why my my last name is Cresian and his is Moret. Mm -hmm. um, I would think that people would pick up on that, but <laughs> people were like, are you guys really related? Because we don't have the same last name, and I get it. I mean, you know, it could be stepbrothers, whatever. We're, we have the same mom and a different father, and uh, my father essentially stepped in and kind of helped raise them at some point up to a certain point and then uh but yeah we have different fathers that's why we have a different last name but can you obviously i've already proved geography is not my strong suit <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, can you do you still have family in cuba like absolutely can, can you visit there is that as well, a u.s citizen i actually am planning on visiting visiting there soon when i was growing up you couldn't go there you know what i mean like that's that was crazy. like the forbidden yeah. place you know how we grew up here America's mm -hmm. relationship with Cuba, you know how that goes. So 
yeah, it was like that forbidden place. It was like, oh, you don't talk about Cuba. You know, you can't go there. You'll get killed. You know, it was like all this goofy stuff. So now they're actually opening up the doors. Things are loosening up a little bit. Like if you have family there, you can go. There's like loopholes. There's like ways. So I'm actually planning a trip to take my wife and son there because I've had this really this ache inside of me for ever that I want to go there like I know that I have to see Cuba not to mention like you know I spend a lot of time in South Florida still um and it's it's right there like if you go to Key West you see a thing that says 90 miles to Cuba and it's like there used to be ferries that went back and forth Mm -hmm. it was like what a shame it's like a paradise so close and then just all this political stuff just completely you know but i do have family there to answer your question my mom my mom is actually one of the few people from her family that came here she came with my brothers and sisters she got married and had kids in cuba then came in the late 60s early 70s probably late 60s and um and and so and she has I have uncles she has many brothers and sisters and cousins I have uncles cousins my grandparents died there, you know I got to meet my grandmother once Whoa. she came over on like a you know she had like a visa a special visa to come over and I got to meet her it was a big deal, and so yeah so That's yeah huge yeah, That's crazy. would you ever try to play down there? It's funny you should say that I think my brother Roger is actually looking into doing that. He's trying to beat me to the punch. <laughs> We've talked about it together. And because uh, I think Sepultura, which is obviously a different genre, but we know guys from that camp and mm-hmm. so on. And I think they played there. I want to say they played there. Really? And so we're thinking there's definitely, you know, there's definitely a, 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 a market for heavy music there. We've heard that, you know, and I even met. I've met some kids, you know, in Miami or I've met kids in Canada. That a kid that was actually from Cuba happened to just be hanging out in Canada said, oh, they love you over there. Blah, blah, blah. You know, and I think they know the background and so on. So, you know, they, they really embrace that. But, uh, yeah, I'd love to go there. My brother's looking into it. I don't know what the logistics are. I mean, it's, it's, it's a yeah. complex thing, I'm sure. You know, there's no money involved. Right. It's probably just pay your own way and just yeah. it, it, this is a trip great. Be, you it would, it would cost you money but it would be cool it'd be cool it's like playing madison square garden yeah <laughs> but, but speaking of like obviously sepulcher is is much different but when i was kind of exposed to you guys it was like demonstrating my style okay era, and you're that was on roadrunner i think yeah that's right and it's like i felt like you guys had so much crossover into the metal scene as like i felt like metalheads listened to it hardcore kids like picked one of those yeah. bands that really like yeah we did type. We did, and we still do. Yeah, which I which I love. You know, I mean, you know, we fly the f- the hardcore flag, you know, to the fullest. We always have, always will. But we've also always been open minded. Like we always noticed that metal kids and punk, like different kind of kids, you know, were vibing with us. So it's like, you know, I'm the more the merrier, man. Everybody's welcome. You know, it's like, you know, that's how it was. That's how it's always been. You know, we're a hardcore band. We represent New York. Et cetera, et cetera. That'll always be the case, but um, yeah, man. I mean, we play, we do well on some of those crossover crowds, you know, and especially in Europe with these bigger festivals. Man, we do, we do, we do. You know, we hold our own there. So, so where cool. did Hazen Street start? Good question. Hazen Street started when um, when Madball was on a break. Um, the only well, we 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 kind of officially broke up at one point, and then. Just, so we were just done or just taking a lot of stuff we were done and uh, i was get i got into some 
trouble, personal, my personal life, the lifestyle I was living at the time wasn't a good one. And I had gotten into some trouble and uh, I got locked up for a little bit and all this, all these things happened. And so uh, we were still going, we were still planning on doing Madball. And then we had some issues with the lineup and some issues with the label and some, <laughs> it was just, it all came all tumbling this, all down. All this at once. It, it, was, yeah. it was so confusing because I was on Warp Tour working when you guys were on it. Yeah. And it was like, they're like. Chad's in the band, but he can't play live. But it, and it was like oh, so, that's weird. It was yeah. so confusing. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, "Who is it? What is happening?" Yeah. Well, it was everyone except Chad. Chad okay. couldn't play because of label stuff that he was tied into, and Newfound Glory, I think, yeah. was playing also. He, so he okay. explained that to me yeah. because he was talking to me about Hazen Street, and then yeah. he kind of went, "Yeah, that's like my band." Like I, I put all that together. And I'm like, wait, what? You're not on any picture. You went. I know labels being weird. And I went, oh, okay. This is yeah. all making. Sense. I want to go back real quick. Cause I played a big you... part. Chad. Chad is oh. a good guy. I know he's got the whole Chad Ball thing going. Yeah, Chad Ball. Um, <laughs> was that you? Did you say that? No, I, I think some. I was Toby. I don't know. It was some, <laughs> Sounds like Toby. It was like, yeah, that works. I like it. I dig it. <laughs> How long were you incarcerated for? Six months, um, not that long. I mean, there's all kinds of rumors, you know, like a bunch of years. No, it was it was six months, um, five years probation, and um, which sucks. Hindsight, I, would, I almost would have rather done more time, and because the probation was a real pain in the ass. Um, there's a lot of rules just for like, yeah, little tiny, just stupid hard things. to travel. It was just real, you know. If you get in the slightest bit of trouble, and I still hadn't learned my lesson, so I was like very. Uh, you know, it was, it was a tough time, man. What was but, it? What was your thing that like, what you say you got into trouble? Was it like, was it just hard party in life or just angry or all that, all of it, all that that you just <laughs> mentioned. <laughs> the anger thing has always been an unfortunate <laughs> flaw of mine for years since I was little. Hence the name Madball. Um, so it, that's always been there, you know, and, and then, you know, you put that together with, uh, you know, uh, teenage angst and this and that. Well, actually, when I got in trouble, it was already in my 20s. So I was getting into my early 20s, but still young, you know, still young and still getting into dumb stuff. I don't know. I was just, uh, there was a part of me that, for whatever reason, gravitated towards the darker side of things sometimes. And that wasn't always the case 24-7. That wasn't my entire life. But, you know. I, like you said, partying, this, that, certain environments, you know, getting into things I shouldn't be getting into, all kinds of things like that. That was always something I wrestled with from my teenage years up until my 20s, early 20s, even mid-20s, until I finally said enough's enough, well, you, you know, when I really up. focus on the music. <laughs> well, you, didn't, you, didn't, you mean, you said it here, you didn't grow up, quote-unquote, no. traditionally, you no, know, I and no not. family is traditional at all. Everybody has their own thing, but, right. you know, it sounds like when you'd had the big move things were going on and then yep. to force you at 16 to go ah, i'm out that's yep. a big deal 16 is young man Very. like now that you're a dad can you yep. imagine your kid at 16 <laughs> i cannot i look at my <laughs> nephews i have nephews that are 16 years old and i like and and, and i'm and the innocence like mm-hmm. that they have I, I was a different kind of 16 mm-hmm. and i had been exper- i had experienced more by 16 than they had but it's just crazy, man. It's just crazy to think that. It's crazy to think my brother did that. You know, 16, moved to Jersey, to New York, and was on his own on the streets in the LES. Like, and I essentially did the same thing, but I had him and other people to lean on at least, you know. Um, crazy. You're a kid. 
You're yeah. a kid. It's Definitely like, not it traditional. It builds up to a point, and then something's got to burst. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then it's also, like, if you're inclined to be a certain way, you know what I mean? If, like, you have a certain disposition, like, you know, it, it all factors in. But, you know, uh, I did finally recognize that, you know, I had people that care about me, and I had the music aspect, and there's a lot of things that, that, that I have uh, uh, to strive for, you know. And I need to embrace that. And also meeting my wife, uh, she more or less saved me, to be honest. You know, uh, she 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 kind of brought brought me out of that dark hole. You know what I mean? And that's that's just being straight up. That's how it was. You know, once that happened, I started Madball again. Hazen Street was starting to get back to the Hazen Street. That was all around that time. So Madball was on a hiatus. I had just gotten out of doing my time. Um, everything crumbled, so we said, forget the band, we're over it. Hoya and I are very, can be very stubborn guys, so instead of trying to work it out or saying, hey, let's just say we're on a break, we're just like, ah, we're done. You'll never see us play again, you know, it was stupid. Um, but we really didn't play for probably a couple years, you know, a year and a half, two years. Like, we, we were gone, we were out of the loop for a while, and I was doing whatever I was doing, um which was not exactly positive and everyone was kind of just doing their own thing. And then, uh, the Hazen street idea came about and then actually we decided to do Madball right when Hazen street came out. Like that kind of happened simultaneously. Um, we decided maybe we should give Madball another shot because we haven't really fulfilled like, you know, whatever it is, our mission is with this band. Like it's not there yet. Like we're not where we're supposed to, you know what I mean? We haven't reached, that point like personally as a band like we just haven't gotten there so we decided to get the band back together and at the same time toby and chad approached me with this idea to do hazen street um and i came up with the name hazen street because hazen street is the street that runs it starts in queens it's in queens but it goes into uh over the bridge into rikers island it's a street that runs right through rikers island right through the middle of the island and so it was uh sort of you know taking from that experience gotcha. you know i had a question i uh, i grew up in cleveland yeah and uh new york obviously had such a legendary scene but it was like it was also known so much for its violence like i felt like there were bands that couldn't play and it was like especially growing up in the suburbs of ohio listening yeah. to these records yeah where do you think that do you think that came from kind of the upbringing and kind of growing up when it was kind of so dangerous in new york or like where because it's so, it seems like that's kind of tied into everything. Such a melting pot, yeah. and yes, there's the danger element, and then you have people from different backgrounds. I mean, you had you didn't have it wasn't all just street kids in New York. I mean, you had suburban kids, you had guys coming from Jersey and from Long Island and from different parts of the you know, from the tri-state area coming to shows at CBs or even Great Gildersleeve, whatever the older clubs as well. Like it wasn't just New York uh, hardened street kids. It was a combo of a lot of different people and different ethnic backgrounds and different right. everything. You know, New York's a melting pot, and that's no different in the hardcore world. And uh, then you would have the clashes between, like, oh, you're a punk, or you're a hard, you're a skin, and you're a long hair. You know, all that goofiness. And it was just, you know, unnecessary divisions. But, you know, you live and you learn. Everybody was young. Everybody was just trying to figure it out. But, yeah, New York at that time was a violent city. So that... You have aggressive music like hardcore. I mean, really, stylistically, doesn't get more, you know, 
aggressive or you know intense than like hardcore music you know what i'm saying so it's like you have that combined with people actually feeling that in their day-to-day lives you know you're gonna get some sort of like you know reaction you know there's yes. uh, also a scene where they legitimately take care and respect each other even truth, the crowd truth i was gonna say that too because it wasn't all violence and beat downs every day of the week you know what i mean it was like it was a lot of respect and camaraderie as well yeah yeah like i said it's that, it's that mentality of you know we can the fight bad kids each, yeah you can fight each other but, <laughs> but you can't fight us no don't and, yeah. and please don't and please don't, please don't. do yourself a favor <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like all those bands had such a tight bond too like you know like i feel like you guys all the lyrics were about kind of like watching out for your brothers and like it seemed like it was some did yeah some di- some did more than others you yeah. know i mean you h2o know, especially h2o my you know toby's one of my best friends in the whole world um and it's but it's funny because like h2o madball two different worlds you know what i mean but and some people know it and some people may not know but toby and i you know grew up together we're real tight you know and he's a different kind of guy than i am but like hey we you know we're family and uh yeah there are some bands that were like especially tight and then there's some bands who people kind of you know people want to have this idea that all the hardcore all the new york bands are all brothers and we all live in the same house and eat (laughs) dinner together every night you know and that's like that's not reality you know what i'm saying like you know um some Ruining bands were, this for me. Yeah, some <laughs> bands some some bands were closer than other. You know, I I get kids in Europe like, so do you all just hang out every day? You know, and like who? Like me and you know, it's like, no, we're cool. You know, like I'm cool with some people and like some people I have like a, a friendship with like outside of, you know, the music thing, you know, but then there's people that are like, "Hey, there's respect, but we're not necessarily like breaking bread and like, you know, hanging out every other day." But yeah, there is there is that thing, you know, like you said, you know, there is that that that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we might not all, you know, love each other, be crazy about each other, but don't mess with us. <laughs> <laughs> What's the we'll, hip hop we'll project? My hip hop project is uh, I put out a record called Catholic Guilt, and that was like a few years ago, and um, I'm actually working on the next one right now, and then I put out a free mixtape. That was uh, um, called the Black and Blueprint, which was like songs that didn't make that first record, not because they were bad, but just because they just weren't used, mm-hmm. um, and just some other features and outtakes that I, you know, other little things that I did, kind of compiled into a free mixtape, and uh, I mean, f- you know, for anyone that knows me or you know knows how I grew up. It's not probably not a shocker that I'm doing it something with hip hop. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was like, I feel like I was supposed to do this like years ago. Like, and I almost did. Like, I can remember my teens and my early twenties talking about having a hip hop project, and just it never manifested. You know what I mean? Like, Madball, you know, was busy and you know, life was happening. <laughs> so, uh, you know. Um, but yeah, man, I, I've always loved, like I mentioned before, man, I I grew up with hip hop and I love the culture and I love, you know, the genre and I love, you know, and, and, and for me, you know, I write lyrics and like, 
it's very challenging, you know, to play with words and all that. Like, it's a challenge for me. It's it's fun. And also, you, know? you do it bilingually. Yeah, yeah, I do so it bilingually. So double challenge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah, and it's it's not easy. Because everything sounds better in Spanish. <laughs> Thank you. That's true. <laughs> well, it has a, a certain flow to it, right? <laughs> you can say, oh, God, I'll never forget. What's the movie? Buena Vista Social Club? Oh, that's one of my faves. It's beautiful. That's one of my faves. But you know, the guy has the lyric, mm-hmm. and um, it's not... I mean, half of them have passed, but yeah, um, yeah. it's like the 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 old the, the oldest one who was like you know, just, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ismael Ferrer, I think yes. that's who he was. Uh, yeah. uh, darker skin, yes, yeah. He was the oldest singer. Yeah, he, had he was a, the oldest singer. A beautiful voice. Gorgeous. But beautiful. There, there was some lyric, and it was like this beautiful, wonderful piece of. I think of the flow and the language and the lyric was, and then she bent over and I saw her on the sand. And you're like, what? In English, that sounds dirty yeah, and filthy. That sounds Spanish horrible. It's gorgeous. Poetry. Yep. Some reason it sounds less perverted, yeah, less, less horrible. That's <laughs> yeah, amazing. And I want to talk really quickly about Black and Blue Bowl, yeah, man. which is coming up. Yep. I mean, how, because how, this year, I think it's all sold out, right? Well, here's the thing. Um, it's not, it's, it, we always save tickets for the door. So I never oh, like really? to say sold out because when we say sold out, then people get bummed out and then they don't, you know, they don't know to come to the door. We, Joe and I have always, you know, uh, cousin Joe is my partner at Black and Blue Productions. I'm sure by now everyone knows he's, he's got his own radio show. He does his thing. Um, but, um, him and I have always like, you know, we're for the people. <laughs> so we, you know, me being, you know, a musician and, you know what I mean? And like him being you know, a fan of music, like we always try to look out. So we always save a certain batch. I mean, this thing could have easily sold out both nights just online, but it did not. We cap it off. We stop it at a certain point before sellout and um, save some tickets for the door. And actually for the second show, pitchfork which is my family my boys um on their website they have some tickets available still online those are the only online tickets that you're going to find um outside of that you can just roll up early when is it again it's 18th and 19th may 18th and 19th 19th. but the first night sold out so fast the show the second show wasn't planned originally it the first one sold out so like you know sold out right officially whatever um it's sold so fast let's say that um that you know a second night seemed necessary and we had this second show planned this after day after show with us and crown of thorns so we were like why are we even doing that like why don't we just get judge again and just combine the bill and just make it like a thing and so it's good because for years i've kind of wanted to make the black and blue bowl more than one night so this may be the catalyst for us to do two nights, you know. Three might be a little over the top, but maybe like a Saturday and Sunday thing moving forward, you know. It'd be it's cool. How hard was it to get Judge back together? I'm not going to take any credit for that, to be honest with you. Um, that was really all Joe. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know that it was him that made them get back together, but he, you know, kind of... Formed a, a somewhat of a relationship with 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 Mike and 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 so, um, when they decided that they were going to do it, I think that they've been thinking about doing it for some time, you know, and I think that they saw how we put shows together and know our background and like Black and Blue Productions, you know, what we're all about and how we're about the culture, not just you know 
the dollars. You know, we need the dollars to pay the bills, of course. Right. But we're people from this scene. You know what I mean? Um, we care about it. We want to nurture it. So I think they know that. And so I think they saw who was behind. They were like basically said something along the lines like if if we were going to do something, we would do it through Black and Blue Productions. And that sort of sparked the whole, you know, uh, rapport that like Joe has with with Mike. And like, it's cool. And and, and, and it, like it happened, you know, the way it should happen. I think, you know, it was like they decided, yeah, we want to do it. And then. Just all came together. You've got a little bit of credibility, I think, yeah, in the New York Hardcore scene. I think so. <laughs> a little bit. The perfect ending there. Freddie Madball talking about Black and Blue Productions and the Black and Blue Bowl, which happens when? It is May 18th and 19th. 18th and 19th at uh, Irving Plaza. And Judge is playing both nights, which uh, is awesome. Black Train Jack is going to play. Black Train Jack, Breakdown, Madball. Uh, Paul Delaney's old band, Kill Your Idols, they is getting play. back together. Um, Bane. District uh, 9. D9. It's yeah. going to be ridiculous. So, and Yeah, and like Freddie said, tickets are pre-sale sold out, but there will be a lot of tickets at the door. Which is super cool of him to do that. We it really do. Cool. He's a good guy. He is cool. God, we got to have him come back. Yes. What's super cool for you to do is go hit us up on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash track. Send us a message. Leave us a comment. Go to our own awesome website, goingofftrack.com. If you want to listen to podcasts there, please, too. And you can also donate to keep us up and running. By running, I mean just a collection of digits and numbers that make sound happen. I just said digits and numbers. What a dumbass. <laughs> we'll hear you in a week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.